Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Boy, do I have a wonderful hour planned for you. Right now, we're going to back get back into our series on salvation, where we invite in a wonderful uh, people to participate. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself have been spearheading this uh, series, and our very, very special guest this week is Dr. Craig Keener. Um, he did his Ph.D. work in New Testament and Christian origins at Duke, and he has uh, written um, over 30-plus books that are in circulation, and they have won 13 national and international awards. His award-winning popular IVP Bible background commentary of the New Testament, now in its second edition, is available in a number of languages and sold over a half a million copies. He's kind of the theologian's theologian. And uh, Peter, before I bring on uh, Craig, I just want to say hi and welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. This has just been such an unbelievable delight to talk to people about some of these different dimensions of salvation, isn't it? It's been fantastic, and it's so exciting to have Craig on the show. And in high school, his teachers used his tests as the answer key. <laughs> you know what? Having talked to Craig in the past, that does not surprise <laughs> me in the least. In did, the least. I did a little bit of research, so that's what I found out. Anyway, uh, Dr. That's Craig great. Keener, welcome to the show. Uh, th- thank you. I I don't know I don't know which of my teachers told you that, but I think <laughs> they made that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're uh, absolutely thrilled you could be part of this, and we we really want to have a a long discussion on salvation. It seems that when it comes up, we cover it for ten minutes here and there, and we we just maybe always leave the listeners wanting more. So Peter and I thought let's launch into six, seven, eight weeks of talking about it every Wednesday. And that's what we're doing. And uh, you're our, I believe, our fourth guest. So thank you so much for agreeing to do it. And uh, we're excited. I think we're going to start by jumping into John 3.16. I think what a great place to start. That's that's awesome. I love John 3.16. So Some people, they think of it as very basic. It is basic in the sense that it's fundamental. But wow, there's so much there. Um should I just go ahead and start talking about oh, it? Oh, please. Okay. I've got a pen out and paper in hand. I'm all set. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, you know, back a long time ago, you know, they didn't have things divided by verses. So they would just read the text straight through. So the first audience of John 3.16 would have heard it in light of the whole of John's gospel, uh, they would have heard it in its immediate context. They would have heard it in the in the fuller context. And so, uh, I guess it'd be great if I if I could just like show some of that context for it. For oh, love it. Um, for for when he says, "For God so loved the world," um, the the immediate context he's talking about Moses lifting up the the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So. Um, this is the expression of God's love for the world, Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Uh, throughout the Gospel of John, the, the being lifted up uh, language that actually goes back to 
um, the, the Greek translation of Isaiah 52 and 53, the, the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross in John's gospel. And, and where it says so, um, for God so loved the world, we usually translate it so, but it doesn't mean so much, even though that's also true. But literally the Greek word there means so, like in this way, this is how God loved the world. This was the expression, the ultimate pinnacle expression of God's love for the world that he gave his one and only son. And you look at the theme of love in John's gospel. I mean, there's a lot about love in John's gospel. <clears throat> and the, uh, I guess the, the model for that, you see the love between the father and the son and how the son was always in the father's bosom um, from, from eternity. It makes, it makes more sense to me now that I'm a dad than before, you know, just how precious it is to have, have your own child. And, and so uh, the, the word that's used for uh, only begotten actually was a, a term that, that meant, um, usually it was an only son. Uh, sometimes it could just mean specially beloved, but, but you know, if, if you have only one child, you know, that's the, the supreme object of your love. God loved the world this way, that he gave up his own son, gave him in, in him being lifted up on the cross so that every blow of those nails was painful to the father too, even though it was the son receiving them. And, and the result of that is, he says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And um, I think that's where Maybe I could focus because when we say whoever believes in him, what does it mean to believe in Jesus in terms of John's gospel? I mean, there, there are a lot of people who will say, well, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but they don't really mean they believe in him very actively. It's just like, I've heard of him. I believe he existed. Um, or, you know, Muslims, they, they go further than that. Uh, in Islam, they believe Jesus was a great prophet. They believe he was born of a virgin and so on. So they, they believe in Jesus in a sense, but is that the kind of faith that he's talking about here, or is it really more than that? And we, we, if we trace the theme of, of believing through John's gospel, we get a better sense of what kind of faith he's talking about here, because uh, there are a lot of confessions of faith in John's gospel. I mean, it, you know, the, uh, the prologue, John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.18, emphasizes that Jesus is divine and he's intimate with the Father. He's God and he's intimate with God the Father. Um, John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God. Jesus uh, says that um, Nathaniel will, will see uh, uh We'll, we'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, like, like uh, Jacob's ladder, and Nathaniel confesses him as uh, my my uh, the King of Israel, Son of God. Uh, Peter confesses him as as the Holy One of Israel in John chapter six. You get to John chapter twenty, and you have this climactic confession of who Jesus is. Thomas says, "I won't believe." unless I can put the nails, uh, it put my hands in the nails in his, in, in his uh, hands and, and 
touch where the spear was in his side. And so Jesus comes, appears to him, and, and says, uh, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And, and this becomes the climactic confession of faith in John's gospel, because Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He takes it as faith, but then also it's a call to the rest of us. And, and John himself goes on and says, these things are written in this gospel so that you may believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? Well, it's like in the confession that, that uh, Thomas just gave, my Lord and my God. It's not just believing in Jesus abstractly or believing that he existed, but we have to believe that he is our Lord and our God as well. And uh, there, there's some more I, I need to say about it, but uh, I don't want to... Do you have a, a commercial break coming no, up? No, no, we've got another four minutes or so. Oh, yeah, oh, good. yeah, Craig, I was just going to yeah, just ask and follow up on the, on the belief part of it. My understanding is, as you're getting further into it, that it sort of has within it the idea of giving credence to or giving allegiance to, and even that within the original language, um, it's sort of an ongoing action. It's not just only a one-time event, but it becomes sort of the characteristic of your life. It's, a, it's an ongoing belief that begins to define and determine how you walk out your life moving forward. Yes, and, and we see that in John's Gospel in that you have people who kind of preliminarily believe, but then they stop. So they see a sign and they believe. Uh, in in uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, I think it is, Jesus says, uh, well, it says that Jesus, they, they believed in Jesus, but he didn't put his trust in them because he knew what was in their hearts. And in chapter 8, Jesus says that if you, if you believe, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And by the end of the chapter, not only did they not continue in his word, they picked up stones to, to try to stone him in verse 59. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that a person never has doubt or is always, you know, 100% perfect in their faith. But it does mean that it's like if a person says, well, you know, I prayed a prayer 50 years ago. I've been an atheist ever since. But, you know, if the Christians are right, I still get in because I prayed that prayer 50 years ago. That's that's not the kind of faith it's talking about. Yeah, it, it, there is that sense, right, where it's um, that, that old hymn that I love so much where I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And it's right. um, the cross before me, the world behind me. And again, I love what you said that it doesn't mean that we don't have doubt. It doesn't mean that we don't maybe even have long seasons of really questioning our faith. But but there, even in those questionings and those doubts, you can maintain some level of allegiance to and trust to. That's different than just flat That's, turning your back from, if I'm hearing you correctly. Right, right. And, and you know, among uh, theologians, you have debates between, say, Calvinists and Arminians. But the debate between Calvinists and Arminians is whether the person was converted to begin with. The debate isn't whether the person needs to persevere. You know, both Calvinists and Arminians agree that, you know, those, those who are ultimately going to be saved are those who stay Christians, not those who turn their back on the faith. 
All right, that'd probably be an okay time to take a little break. We're in our series on salvation, and our special guest is Dr. Craig Keener. And I just want to thank you in advance once again, Craig, for doing the show. I wish I could do something nice for you. I'd come over and cut your lawn if I live closer to you. I'd do anything. Just You're so nice to do the show. Peter, uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself have been in this series now for three or four weeks. We're going to go another four weeks. But we'll take a short break and be back with our special guest, Dr. Craig Keener. Salvation Series, and our special guest today is Dr. Craig Keener. You can learn more about uh, Craig by going to craigkeener.com, K-E-E-N-E-R. And Craig, the explanation that you started giving us on John 3.16, I want more, please. Oh, sure. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> great stuff. And Craig, I would like, if you wouldn't if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to say, if you can pick up even on that persevere part a little bit, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of listeners that are maybe wondering, gosh, can I, can I lose my faith? You know, do I stop believing? What, what does this mean? And maybe just sort of pick up on that a little bit. How do you counsel people that are walking in long seasons of doubt or maybe had their faith shaken by difficult circumstances in their lives? How, how do they continue to persevere in that ongoing belief in Jesus? It's a hard question to say where you draw the line, but my understanding of it is that if a person remains loyal to Jesus, you know, you're still a follower of Jesus, however imperfect a follower you are, then you're still on the right path. Um, if a person renounces their faith in Jesus, obviously, mm. you know, they no longer have that, that faith. So it's faith that needs to endure to the end. It's faith that has content in who Jesus is. Um, and And like you said, it's faith that's it's expressed in loyalty and allegiance. Um, Jesus is my Lord. We are not just saved from the penalty for sin. We're actually saved from sin. So that doesn't mean we become perfect and never sin again, but it means we, we acknowledge a new allegiance. We acknowledge a new Lord. We no longer belong to, you know, my life belongs to myself. I can do what I want, but my life belongs to Jesus. I want to do what he wants me to do. Sometimes we don't feel like that's what we want to do, but, uh, you know, sometimes we don't feel like going to work in the, in the morning, but we, we go, uh, sometimes we don't feel like we're married to our spouse maybe, but you know, we're still married, um, unless we, you know, take action to terminate that. So, um, in the same way that we shouldn't, you know, normally, uh, you know, just decide to quit our job or, uh, you know, unless we have good reason, uh, we shouldn't break up our marriage. The same way, we stay loyal to Jesus, and ideally, it's something we grow in. We we see in John's Gospel this uh, elementary level of faith where people are, con you know, they believe because they see signs, but Jesus tells them they have to continue. And uh, he speaks of branches attached to the vine and they have to stay attached to the vine so they can continue to bear fruit for him um, in context, probably the, especially the fruit of love. Uh, so some, something else that's really important in the, in the passage where it speaks of, of having eternal life, 
eternal life literally the phrase was widespread by by the first century uh, a lot of jewish people use that phrase it goes back to daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 where the dead get raised at the end of the age uh, some to eternal life the life of the coming age and some to eternal uh, contempt and so where he speaks of eternal life uh it it the, the normal sense of that was you know someday our bodies will be resurrected and will be permanent they'll, they'll live live forever but he uses the present here as he normally does in the gospel of john with that because it's something we've already received in, in maybe in a foretaste sense but we've already begun that eternal life of the future uh, in this chapter earlier he speaks of being born from above our, our our new life has started in christ and so it's it's the fact that the holy spirit dwells in us and um where it speaks of god's god's love for us i mean he's not out to make us fall away he wants us to persevere uh, he wants us to be saved uh, the next verse after 316 god didn't send his son to judge the world the world was already condemned but that the world might be saved through him in in chapter 17 jesus prays that his followers may be one that the world might know that the father loved jesus followers it says even as he loved jesus wow i mean god loves us so much he he wants us to be saved so it's not like he's looking for an opportunity to cut us off um if if we're cut off it's not from god's end it's you know because we we don't continue to to trust in christ Greg, I would love for you to even dress out a little further to that phrase eternal life, because what you what you had to say was pretty compelling just now in the sense that I, I think uh, in, in some certainly among the students that I teach, when we go through that passage, eternal life, there's probably uh, it's pretty common for students to, to think eternal life only as something in the future that happens in heaven. But what you're describing is is almost sort of a way of life that God begins to impart in us in this life as we turn and, and give our allegiance and, and trust him. It's, a, it's, it's an eternal way of life that he begins to, to kind of give to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's something that, that God has already birthed in us. And so it's just a matter of um, growing in that. Uh, John speaks of fruit. Paul speaks of, of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Paul Paul is really big on on this. Uh, Paul often uses eternal life more in the future sense, but he you know he has the same idea that we already have a foretaste of that future. Uh, Paul speaks of it sometimes as uh, a, a term that means a down payment, like we might make a down payment on a house or a down payment on a car or a down payment I don't know on a bicycle whatever. Um, we in the same way god has has given us a down payment of our of our future inheritance paul says when he gave us the holy spirit um first corinthians chapter 2 he says i think it's verses 9 and 10 i has not seen nor ear heard neither has it entered the human heart the things that god has prepared for those who love him but he says god has revealed those things to us by his spirit so again we have a, a foretaste of that 
uh, and in Galatians 5.5 5 and Galatians uh, 3.14 and, and a lot of other, uh, Romans 8.23, where Paul says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So it's the first fruits of our future inheritance. Uh, all these things are, are ways of saying that that eternal life that's promised for the future has already begun, that God has invaded our lives and it, we've opened the doors to him and he's the one at work in us. And so, you know, the fruit of the spirit comes because he lives in us. It's not like, you know, we have to be so great at, at producing it. <laughs> we just have to let him, uh, welcome him. Sounds like the idea that we get a little taste of our future in the present as part of the eternal life, that when we taste of God's love now in the present, or maybe a, a peace that passes understanding, use some of the other scriptural language, or a bit of joy in the midst of sorrow, that those kinds of things are the foretaste of the life that is awaiting us on the other side. And, and I'm guessing even those sort of foretastes can help us in the troubled, condemned world in which we live to, to, to continue to persevere, uh, knowing yes. that we have a future ahead of us. Yes. I mean, Hebrews uh, 6 speaks of having tasted of the powers of the age to come. <laughs> it's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a wonderful thing. All right. Well, I think we're, we're doing, uh, we're off to a really good start. And we're in our series on salvation. And it, if you uh, have heard something that you need clarification on, you know, I'm wide open to getting a text message from you. We'd love to hear from you, you can uh, text me at 877-933-2484. This extravagant gift of eternal life, this incredible gift that God offers um, called salvation, um, is maybe something that you've been thinking about, and maybe especially in the last five months when the world has been turned upside down and um, you are looking for new hope and new answers, and maybe a friend has even directed you over to Faith Radio. And maybe you have uh, heard about salvation, but you didn't know exactly what it meant. So we're trying to make that a true reality to you today, um, just like we've been doing it every Wednesday for the last several weeks. And Dr. Craig Keener is our guest today. Um, and we're going to uh, come back after a short break. We're going to continue uh, talking to Craig. And I know you're going to probably oh, have a question or two. You're absolutely welcome to send me a text. We can get your question on the air to Craig or Peter. And again, the number is 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. And Craig's web website is craigkeener.com, uh, K-E-E-N-E-R. He's our special guest today on our series on salvation. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Craig Keener as our guest today in our Salvation Series. And I think uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner is with us as well, but he may have gotten disconnected, but I'm sure he'll find his way back on. Uh, Craig, do we have more on John 3.16? I'm absolutely fascinated with everything you said so far. Sure. Um, Although I do want to uh, qualify something you said earlier. You said you were willing to mow my lawn. Yes, I did say that. Part part of how I get my exercise. So that's please not to do that. But but also the the word gave, that he gave his son, Mm -hmm. it's really important to understand that salvation is a gift. You know, not and, and again, not just salvation from the penalty for sin, but even the salvation from sin. You know, when we believe that he saved us, we can also by faith learn to trust his power to overcome temptation and so on. But we don't get saved be, because we we do those works, but we are saved by his his grace. It's his gift. The the new life is not something we do to get the gift. The new life is the gift itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we, we praise God for the beginning of it, but we praise God also for, for how he helps us along the way. All right. I um, appreciate that. So, do you, uh, are, were we going to go back to John 3.16? Or... Oh, oh the, the gift part was... Gift, yeah. okay. Just that that was uh, just expanding on John three sixteen. Although it's you know the gift language is all over the place in the, in the New Testament. Okay, I think Peter might be back. Are you back, Peter? I am back. Sorry about that. Oh, you're using the deep voice now. This is good. Got a, got a different connection. <laughs> I do indeed. Yeah, right before we went to break, you had something you wanted to ask Craig, though. So ask away. Well, I'd be curious, too, because, Craig, at the beginning, you referenced just in passing this idea from John uh, 3.14 that just as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be raised. And I've always been a bit uh, confused by that passage in terms of what is the parallel there? Because John 3.16 certainly is in the context of John 3.14, which has this story, I believe it's from the book of Numbers, about the Israelites needing to look up at this serpent that was being raised as they were being killed by the serpents that were biting them on the heels. So I'd be curious what your understanding is of the parallels there and how there's salvation being offered somehow in both the serpent and in the Son of Man being raised. Yeah, with the with the serpent, the, the Israelites were being bitten by serpents in the wilderness that, that you know, and they were dying from this. And so uh, Moses was told to make a, a bronze serp, serpent and to lift it up, and whoever looked on that serpent then would be uh, saved from, from death. Uh, and part of this I mean, fits the, the background of them having been in Egypt and how uh, serpents were used and, and so on with all that. But, uh, but it also illustrates that uh, God could take the, uh, the, the very thing that was causing the death and in something like that could could bring life. And so in the same way, Jesus embraces our death. He embraces our punishment. And he's lifted up. And so we look on him to have eternal life, like it says in, in uh, 315. The language of being lifted up, it's used uh, later on in John 8, where Jesus says, 
uh, you'll you'll know that I'm he when you will have lifted up the Son of Man. And he's speaking to the people who are opposing him. So in other words, it's it's talking about the cross. Um, and then he gets more explicit in chapter 12 when he speaks of the Son of Man being being lifted up on the cross um, and a seed uh, not bearing fruit unless it dies first. Um, it goes back to Isaiah 52, 13, I believe it is, um, 13 through 15, where uh, God says, my servant will be exalted, he'll be high and lifted up, and then goes on into Isaiah 53 to speak of the ser servant who suffers on behalf of 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 all of the people uh, and, and bears their sins for them. So is there, they, they looked at the, at the serpent, as well. I mean, Moses instructed them to gaze directly at the serpent to thus experience sort of their salvation in those times. Uh, I, there's a passage in Hebrews, I believe, where it talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As part of that sort of giving trust to and giving allegiance to that's part of believe, uh, it seems to me that there's a sense in which you spend a whole lifetime fixing your eyes on Jesus. Not not that you're spending every minute in devotions. We're not talking about that. We're just saying that you can fix your eyes on so many things in this life, uh, whether it be a vocation or a relationship or, or anything along those lines. Uh, but to really fix your eyes on Jesus and that salvation uh, begins to come and is present in your life. Yeah. The, the Gospel of John also uses that language of, of seeing. Uh, th there, there are uh, three verbs that he uses a lot in a, in a similar way uh, in terms of seeing. Well, actually, he uses more than one <laughs> different verb for some of these, but uh, for seeing, knowing, and believing. And so it has to do with the relationship with God, knowing him. Um, and it comes with seeing with something more than our eyes, uh, seeing with our hearts, so to speak, seeing, seeing what Jesus is really like. And, and you have uh, this irony, this contrast a lot in the New Testament where people can look at Jesus different ways. Uh, Second Corinthians is really big on this, uh, looking at Jesus or looking at his his followers certain ways. To some, it's like, oh, that's just, that's stupidity, that's death. You know, the guy goes and gets himself crucified. How's that going to help anybody? You know, his followers <laughs> are, are getting killed for following him. How's that going to help anybody? But from the standpoint of faith in Christ, the, the, the understanding of things from God's perspective, no, this is how God does it. His power is perfected in weakness. And the things that are foolishness in the eyes of humanity, God's wisdom is revealed. And, yeah, go ahead, Bill. No, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, I think just, again, one more follow-up on that. When it comes then to John 3.16, and if somebody is looking at this um, this event of Jesus on the cross uh, today and is saying, gosh, that was foolish, that was silly, he got himself killed— and and how in the world does anything about him getting himself killed, how would that possibly express God's love? Because as you said, John 3.16 starts, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his one and only Son. What about this cross event do, do we see? Would you say to somebody, this really does represent God's love, and it really is worth your allegiance once you understand what happened here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm... I'm... I'm going a little bit beyond John's gospel here. Well, you have it in John's gospel, too, with the Lamb of God. Uh, you have it in 1 John, 
which I think builds on John's gospel, and you have it in Paul's letters, you have it a lot in Hebrews, the idea also of a propitiation, um, where Jesus dies in our place. He suffers the judgment, he suffers the wrath in our place. So what we had actually deserved for ourselves because of our sins, Jesus took took that punishment so that uh, just as he took the punishment in our place, we can have the life that was rightfully his and have a relationship with God. In John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, actually Jesus goes so far as to say, uh, he's been talking about a sheep hearing his voice, a sheep knowing him. So he's talking about a, a living relationship with God. He says, my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now that's that's astonishing, you know. Um, elsewhere, of course, Paul says, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, 9, that we don't yet know as we are known. So that's that's true. We don't uh, We don't fully know him. We don't fully see him face to face yet. But at the same time, the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, he has inaugurated us. He's welcomed us into that same relationship so that if we're in Christ, we're we're in relationship with God. It's it's his gift. And uh I'm I'm ADHD, so you have to remind me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of in terms of uh what what he what he did for us. I mean, in the incarnation, Jesus made God known. In the cross, Jesus made God available, and in the resurrection and by the gift of his spirit, Jesus has made God dynamically present in our lives. Uh but yeah, it comes through faith in the crucified one, not not somebody who came, you know, the way a lot of people were expecting as a conquering king who would knock people's heads together. Uh, he he didn't even come the way uh, in the in the first Exodus uh, when God brought his people out of the land of Egypt and it came with plagues and death and so on to make the Egyptians want uh, the Israelites to leave, but this time. You know, he di he didn't bring down the Roman Empire, cause it to crumble to dust uh, in 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 that generation. Instead, he began transforming people from the inside, and yeah, that eventually impacts the Roman Empire. But like Paul speaks of it, it's not uh, a message that brings death, but a message that brings life. Uh, it brings healing and restoration. Uh, it, it it works from the inside out. It makes us. Uh, so that we can stand before God because of what he has done. It, it, and it, this was true of the first Exodus, too. It was God's initiative. God brought his people out. In fact, before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he prefaces those Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 by saying, I am the Lord your God who redeemed you. So the redemption comes first, and then we, we live a new life as God's gift rather than, you know, we have to work our way to God or find our way to God. I, I was an atheist mm -hmm. before my conversion 40-some uh, years ago, and whew, that was a pretty hopeless situation to be in. But I thought, you know, even if there is a God, how would I ever get to him? I thank God that he has revealed himself in Christ. He's reached out to us. He's the one who, who crossed that barrier and made the way for us to have eternal life. Mm. 
That's powerful. All right, I'm going to take a little break because uh, i got all kinds of questions coming in. And when we come back, Craig, I would love for you to talk about Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Maybe put that in context for us. I'll read it right before we go to break. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When we come back, Dr. Craig Keener is our guest. Dr. Peter Kapscher and I are in our series on salvation. We're loving it. We'll be right back. salvation. Dr. Craig Keener is our guest. And Craig, I need to tell you, during the break, I spoke to your agent and he committed you to at least 20 more appearances minimum on my on my show. <laughs> nice. I Well, thank you for giving me an agent. I didn't know I had. He must be a secret agent. <laughs> well, you said it. So at least 20 more times you have to be on my show. So thank you very much. All right, let's go. Let's jump on to uh, Romans, uh, that verse that I read, uh, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. Uh, would you uh, talk about that and put it in context for us? Sure. Uh, of course, in Romans, he's talking about being made right with God. Jesus died for our sins. Um, one of the big emphases in Romans is um, he's he's trying to bring uh, show that Jewish people and Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people, come to God on the same terms through Christ. And in Romans 9, at the end of the chapter, he's trying to explain why it is that his own people uh, didn't just turn in mass to faith in the Messiah already. And he's saying, well, they were, they were going about it the wrong way. They were, they were pursuing the law the wrong way. And so he's going to show the right way to approach the law of Moses. So in, in this context, he's actually going to be explaining a passage from the Old Testament. He's going to be preaching salvation from the Old Testament, making an analogy the way God saved them back in Moses' day, uh, which which we were just talking about in a sense, and the way that God um, saves us in Christ. So in Romans chapter 10 and verse 5, he says, well, uh, this, this is how Moses speaks of, you know, um, the, the righteousness based on the law. Uh, if you can live by that, then you can, you know, that's that's how you live. But Paul has already shown earlier in Romans that's not going to work because nobody actually, you know, lives perfectly according to the law. At least this is my interpretation of the passage. But then in, in verse 6, he begins citing another passage from Deuteronomy. In, in Deuteronomy, uh, it says, don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? Now, in, in Deuteronomy 30, it's don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring the law down from heaven, um, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, who will descend to cross into the sea again uh, to experience redemption. Deuteronomy is saying, no, God has already done that for you. God already gave you the law. God already brought you through the sea. Now the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Uh, so the message of the law was God's gift. Well, Paul says it's the same way with Christ. So he 
he quotes and then he explains. He says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And the word he's talking about, he says, is the message of faith, which we're preaching, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, so this is why he speaks of the mouth and the heart. So, you know, if somebody is uh, is mute, they're, they're not able to speak, it doesn't mean they can't be saved. Uh, he's speaking of the mouth and the heart because, you know, he's explaining the passage in Deuteronomy. But the, the point is, just like Israel could embrace the law because it was God's gift to them, we can embrace what God has done for us in Christ. It's God's gift to us. We don't have to ascend to bring down salvation in Christ. We don't have to uh, try to bring Christ up from the dead. It's already been done. So now we embrace it by uh, believing in our heart and also confessing with our mouth. And he goes on uh, with some other texts that, that relate to this as well, uh, quotes one from Isaiah uh, and quotes one from Joel, um, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So confessing with your mouth involves uh, calling on the name of the Lord and recognizing that the name of the Lord, which in Joel is, is Yahweh, the name of the Lord here, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so again, uh, recognizing Jesus is divine, Jesus is Lord, and um, yeah, it's a concrete way of expressing our, our faith. And Craig, would you say with that too, that uh, the, the word belief there, again, I think I've had some students troubled by the idea that uh, they, they say, well, I don't know if I believe strongly enough. I don't know if I have all of the uh, of the doubts resolved. I don't know if I have all the information. I, I hope I can believe strongly enough so that uh, I can receive this gift, but but the belief there isn't necessarily that you've got all the details in place and and it's all worked out for you. It's it, there's a sense in which you're willing to give your loyalty to, as you've said earlier, even in the midst of the uncertainty uh, of all of of you know what is involved with this. Is that fair to say that you don't have to have it all lined up in order to say yes with loyalty and trust that God's going to lead the way moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. When we have sufficient faith in something or someone to commit ourselves, you know, it, it, I don't know if we ever have 100% confidence, that, you know, once we start slicing it that way. But again, when Paul says it's not by works, you know, if we, mm -hmm. if we are trying to uh, make our faith perfect, we're turning it into a work. Um, the, the point of faith is not that we—it's not make-believe. The point of faith is it it is merited by one who is faithful. The point of um, trust is we have somebody who's absolutely trustworthy. The point of relying on Jesus is that he's absolutely reliable. So the focus is on him, not on us. It's it's uh, it, this comes up with other expressions of faith too, like you know, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. In other words, it's not the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. God is absolutely worthy of our trust. And so knowing that, we don't want to put our faith in our faith. We want to put our faith in him. And that's something that we can grow in. But you grow in that through a relationship. I mean, we affirm up front, okay, I know God's reliable. 
I don't know how all this works, but, but you have the same thing with Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, that Paul expounds in, in Romans chapter 4, Galatians 3. Um, Abraham believed God, and it was counted him as righteousness. Well, God had, had given him some promises. Abraham trusted him, and that was seminal faith. That was just initial faith. But, you know, uh, as soon as God says that, Abraham asks, asks him another question. You know, he's just been asking about his, his you know, giving him an heir. Now he says, okay, what about that promise of, of inheriting the land that you gave me back in chapter 12? Are you going to do that? And so God confirms <laughs> that. And, you know, for those of you who are good with math, the chapter right after chapter 15 is chapter 16, which is where, you know, Sarah, uh, Sarai and Abram bring in Hagar, and she gets pregnant with Ishmael. And, you know, that doesn't look like a great act of faith, you know, but faith was something they were growing in. It was a relationship. By the time you get to chapter 22, Abraham is ready to sacrifice the promise. He's ready to offer up his son Isaac because he's so sure that God has promised that he's willing to follow God's word, even to the point of sacrificing that promise, knowing that God is going to give that promise back to him. So he, you know, he says to the uh, the the person that he, you know, he leaves leaves down in the mountain below. I and the lad will go up and we'll come back to you. Uh, Hebrews eleven talks about that. He was he believed he could even receive his son back from the dead. So, uh, you know, resurrection faith. So, um. By the time you get to chapter 22, many years have passed. Abraham has seen God's faithfulness in his life. The initial faith, it doesn't have to be much. But we grow in that, in the context of our relationship with God, where we see either, you know, here's something God did, or sometimes here's something God didn't do, but it turned out all right anyway because God had our back. And yeah, I, I've, I've grown in faith over the years, but not because I'm very good at having faith, but just because <laughs> God has been so good to me. Mm -hmm. and in the hardest times, that's actually when I didn't feel like I had any faith at all sometimes, that's when my faith grew the most. Because when I come through it, I could say, wow, God, you still were there. That's so powerful. Craig, we just have a couple of minutes left. I, I'm not giving you a ton of time to do this, but would you just maybe invite our listeners into this saving relationship with Christ in a couple of minutes? Sure. Yeah. God has already done the hard work. God has already paid the price. Salvation's a gift. It's a costly gift. It's a, it's a gift that we couldn't have paid for ourselves. But it's a gift that God already paid for at the, at the cost of his own precious son. And so it's a gift we don't dare take for granted. We don't dare neglect it because God paid such a price for it. I mean, it would be wasteful and disrespectful for us to neglect it. At the same time, he wants us to have it. That's why he paid the price for it. So the gift is available for the asking. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God loved the world this way. He gave his son so that you could be saved. He wants you to be his own child. So it starts by asking him. You know, you, you go on from there. You, you learn to follow him as the days go on. But it starts by asking. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've not done this before, uh, or if, if you maybe did it and weren't serious uh, or whatever, uh, you, could, you could just repeat a prayer like this after me if you want to. God, I believe, I choose to believe that Jesus died for me so that I could be made right with you. I believe that you raised him from the dead, and I ask you now to come in and change my life. Make me the follower of Jesus. I couldn't make myself to be this, but please make me a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Craig, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've got 24 more appearances to make on my show. Peter, thank you so much. That wraps up our time. We got to go. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.